Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. Our sermon series is called Rhythms of the Soul, and we're exploring some of the habits and practices that connect us with God. We believe that you can have a walking, talking relationship with God, and this series is all about helping you do just that. We pray you find this sermon helpful in some way. Feel free to reach out by emailing us at hello at tablechurchdsm.org. Thanks for listening. Hello, good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Susanna. We're going to read together from the scripture from 1 Corinthians 13. Um, And you guys can open up in your Bibles. Otherwise, we have Bibles here. If you don't have one, you can just raise your hand and uh, we'll walk one over to you. So if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship so that I may boast, but again do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Amen. Thank you. Once again, good morning and welcome to Table Church, friends. Thanks so much for coming today and worshiping with us on this rainy but still cheerful Mother's Day. And we're so glad that you are here. Um, I'm going to reiterate really quick what Megan said in the welcome, that we have a, a worship night on Friday at 6.30 here at the Playhouse down in the Kate Goldman Theater. And obviously we're getting around to announcing this a little later than we would have preferred. We were trying to get last minute details, make sure we had the location secured and stuff like that. Um, but no worries, because you're all going to come, right? I uh, hope to see you there. And you know, it's just exciting. One of the things we want to do is start just leaning into the Lord more. I mean, we come into this room every Sunday and that's great. But look, there's like 400 chairs in here. There's like 30 feet between us all. Like, let's just get together as a body and let's just go for it. You know what I'm saying? And it's going to be real laid back, stripped down, simple. But I mean, we're going to keep our focus on first things, right? And that is the Lord. And so I hope you'll come. Um, I'm excited for it. And, and we'll see how it goes. I, I hope to do more of them in the future. Um, so we're continuing a series today called Rhythms of the Soul. This is week three. Now, with a rhythm of the soul, that's what we're calling a spiritual discipline, which are these actions that we can do that connect us to God. And of course, God can speak to us any way he wants. But there seem to be certain practices that we can engage in that are, are just kind of rocket fuel for our spiritual lives. And so we've talked about um, scripture, reading scripture. That was week one. And then we, last week, Pastor Megan talked about uh, I loved it. It was pardon, but the way she described it was being offended in the way of Jesus, uh, which I think is about as pertinent a message as any in our day and age. Today we're going to talk about probably the most, the most fundamental spiritual rhythm or discipline that there is, and that is prayer. The passage we just heard read, that Susanna read, is more famous for weddings than it is for sermons on prayer. But I believe that it is one of the clearest pictures of what a life inhabited by God looks like. 
And that is what prayer is. This is what I'm going to say prayer is for today. Prayer is the process of becoming immersed in God. Often when we think about prayer, we think about this isolated event. It's something you do as a beginning and an end. You carve out time to do it. You know, like eating dinner or going grocery shopping, that kind of thing. Now clearly it's true. Prayer is an activity that we should do regularly, but that's not all prayer is. See, prayer is a way of being. If prayer is about becoming immersed in God, then a life of prayer is a life that is lived immersed in God. I'm often asked for tips on how to improve one's prayer life. Look, there's all sorts of strategies and techniques out there. And, you know, one of my favorites is just to use the Lord's Prayer, like what we just did. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. Just take every line and use it as a springboard into a a deeper time of prayer. Hallowed be thy name. So you spend time exalting God. You know, your kingdom come. Okay, so I'm going to spend time asking God's will to be done here in Des Moines, in my neighborhood, in my country, whatever the case may be. And on you could go. And so there's all sorts of different prayer strategies and these things, but today's sermon isn't about techniques or models or strategies because here's my conviction. No simple technique or strategy can by itself instill a desperation for God. We must, of course, devote time to prayer. We must sharpen our skill in prayer, and I've preached sermons on those before. But we must also be awakened to our need for prayer. So, so let us be careful that we don't think of prayer as we think of a hobby. A hobby is an activity we, we try to carve out time for if we can get to it on the weekends. You know, we maybe try to improve at it over time. And of course, I hope that you find time for prayer. And I hope that you improve at prayer. But those things are far from a complete understanding of prayer. Because look, when a drowning man reaches for a life preserver, he is not engaging in a hobby. And when somebody dying of thirst throws themselves into a pool of fresh water, this is not someone employing a technique. To think of these events in those terms is to deeply misunderstand the nature of those events. Friends, our souls are starving, and God is our food. The starving person has no need to check their schedule to block it out on Google Calendar. The starving person has no need to first learn the forms of etiquette. They fall onto the food like the source of life that it is. Let us begin to think of prayer like this. We've established that prayer is the process of becoming immersed in God. Let us add to this what the point of prayer is, the point, the goal, perhaps the end of prayer. The end of prayer is selfless love. That's what we're going for when we pray. Read again Paul's famous words. He says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing, he says. We must fasten this truth in our hearts today. The gifts of the Spirit that we tend to think are the most extraordinary actually aren't. And the giftings from God that we tend to think the most mundane are actually the most extraordinary. I was a worship pastor for 10 years, and whenever a new drummer would join the team, I would paraphrase this verse to them. I would say, look, buddy, you may have the fanciest fills and the most complex beats. You may have the fastest hands and the fanciest rhythms, but friend, if you cannot keep time, you are nothing. 
It's simply in our nature to emphasize the things that are flashiest, the things that dazzle and impress. But none of this stuff matters if you can't stay with a metronome, you know? That's job number one. Now, let's just thank the Lord that our drummer here at Table Church, Taylor, not a problem for him. Rock solid, buddy. Rock solid. And maybe this attitude of mine is a reason we don't have more drummers. I'm not sure. But if you play drums, I would love to talk. I'm not that mean in real life. Look, we can, we can apply this principle to spiritual life. Uh, there are entire ministries built with the promise of secret knowledge that, that you know, we can tap into. Um, you know, there, there's books that hold up the promise of, of breaking open the spiritual life for us. They fly off the shelves. And I want to be very clear here. Not only do I believe in these, maybe what we would call the more charismatic gifts of the Spirit, not only do I believe in them, I think they're necessary, and I actually don't even think they're all that uncommon. But the more I learn about prayer and the more I study the way of Jesus, the more convinced I've become that if I can speak in tongues and speak prophecy and discern the spirits, if I can be the one to lay hands on and heal, but I'm still a condescending jerk, then in the words of Paul, I am nothing. If I build an empire and I'm blessed with a tongue to preach, thousands come and listen, but I'm still a selfish narcissist, I am nothing. And so what this means is that we must stop using the currency of this world to negotiate the economy of heaven. These are the things that matter most. This is not to discount the reality or importance of other spiritual giftings, things like healing and discernment, prophecy, tongue. They're all tremendously helpful if they flow from a heart of selfless love. Otherwise, they can be damaging. Ruth Burrow is one of my favorite spiritual writers, and she talks about how we often come to prayer hoping for a particular experience or an outcome, a supernatural occurrence, that kind of thing. But she points out, and I think Paul would agree on this, she says, true, there are effects, but the only reliable one is growing selflessness. What she means is, look, look there's only one measuring stick. If you want to know how you're doing, how you're growing in, your, in Christ-likeness, and that is a growing heart of selfless love. Paul gives us a list of rather remarkable effects, which anyone here would be happy to have, and I hope we do. Things like prophecy, knowledge, tongues, even things like generosity, willingness to suffer for our faith. He lists that in there. But apparently, all those things can be done without a heart of love. And if that's the case, we've missed it. So prayer is not fundamentally about having a particular experience, a strategy, or a technique. Prayer is a journey with God toward becoming a person of love. I want to give a few metaphors for prayer. Analogies might be the more uh, accurate term. Uh, I hope that these analogies will help us better understand what prayer is about, and I hope it will awaken something in us uh, to, to maybe kind of, I don't know, initiate a hunger for prayer. And they're going to be a little weird, uh, but that's the point because I want you to remember them. So the first one is this. Prayer is like losing a toenail. Several years ago, I took a hiking trip with a friend. We spent two nights in the Badlands in the Black Hills of South Dakota. I went with this, uh, my friend who I went with is an avid outdoorsman. He also happens to be six foot seven. So he's got a long stride. And uh, by the way, he's actually Tim Purcell's son, our district superintendent. And Tim is going to be preaching next week. So be sure to come. He always does a great job. At this time in life, I felt like I was in pretty good shape. Uh, but I found myself scrambling to keep up with him. 
Uh, we spent a day hiking up Harney Peak, which is uh, since been renamed to Black Elk Peak, but it is the highest point in the United States east of the Rockies. There's several ways up the mountain, but he, of course, chose the hardest one. And so I was just scrambling up this mountain, and we, we hiked at least 30 miles in a couple days, I think. And it was a grueling experience. By the time we finished, my feet were killing me. My toenails fell off over the coming days. That was gross. Very unpleasant. Of course, the view at the top of the mountain was breathtaking. But look, sometimes prayers like this. It's this slow, difficult path as we ascend toward God. And, and as we do, then things like pride and bitterness and selfishness are just kind of slowly chipped away from us. And, and sometimes that can be a little painful. You know, so, sometimes prayer hurts a little bit. If you're being honest and you're in the presence of God and, and he points at something on you, in you and you're like, ooh, but God, I, don't take that. Prayer is where God prunes us from our selfish pride. One of my favorite books is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I'm reading it right now with my daughter, Bella. It opens in this drab gray city where everybody's just grouchy. Everyone's having a horrible time. The main character, though, he gets on a bus with some other people from the gray city, and they travel to this new place. And when they get off the bus, they don't like this new world at all. It's bright. It burns their eyes. The, everything is sharp and dense. The grass is even painful on their feet. Even a leaf is impossible to pick up. See, he's writing an allegory. Lewis is saying this gray town, this drab city that we started in, it's hell. And these people took a bus ride to heaven. And what we discover is this world where the inhabitants of heaven, they're slowly moving toward God. And only as somebody's sin is purged from them can they acclimate to heaven. And so there's a certain sloughing off, if you will, that has to happen in, in order for these people to, to grow used to the world of heaven. It's, it's just a different way of thinking of it. Uh, and in the end, actually, most of the people get back on the bus and go back to the gray town. Because they just can't take heaven. And I wonder sometimes if this isn't going to be the case, that I know my heart, I don't know yours, but I know mine, and I know that there is pride in there, and I know there's selfishness in there, I know that I'm, I'm far from perfect, and what happens when suddenly I find myself in the presence of a perfect being, an almighty God, when I'm so used to wanting to be the center, and now I'm juxtaposed by an infinite amount what will that feel like? Will it not perhaps be a bit painful? Will there not perhaps be some sort of work that has to be done on me? As I journey closer and closer, as I grow in Christ-likeness for eternity, that's what prayer is. It's this ascent toward God where the orientation of our hearts is dislodged and slowly moved away from ourselves and towards others and towards God. The second analogy I want to use is prayer is like changing a tire. I have not changed a tire in a while, but last time I did, I remember I was basically jumping on the tire iron in order to loosen the bolts. Like those things were so corroded and fused in there, like they just would not budge. That's what our hearts are like from years of branding ourselves on social media, filling every appetite that we, that, that we get hit with, being told that we're the best all the time, using devices that are personalized to our every need, news platforms that curate our feeds just for us, on and on we could go. We have crafted little universes in which we are the center of each one. And what that does is it, is it corrodes our heart in place, and so our hearts are stuck looking inward at ourselves instead of outward towards God and others. 
And so when someone crosses us or annoys us or disagrees with us or whatever, like our knee-jerk reaction is never to be like, oh, I wonder, I wonder how this person's hurting. And I wonder how I can help them. Our reaction is to get back at them or to improve our image over theirs. It's actually, when you think about it, to do the very opposite of like everything Paul says in verses four and five. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Look, if I'm honest about myself, I'd have to say that most of the time I'm like the inverse of every clause <laughs> in those passages. I'm not patient, I'm not kind, I envy other pastors and other people's accomplishments, I take any chance I get to do a humble brag about myself. Deep inside, I'm proud. I don't always honor others in my heart. I seek my own gain. I get angry easier than I should. I definitely keep a record of wrongs. I'm probably not the only one. When I come to God, one of the things I must do is I must say, God, get out the tire iron. Loosen up the bolts in here. Break my heart of stone free from its mold and help it to beat again. Prayer is where God moves our heart. If you ever want to know how God's working in your life, pay attention to your inner monologue while you read the Bible. Not too long ago, I read Mark 10. Actually, it was the week I was preparing for this message. That's why it's in here as an illustration. But uh, I was reading through Mark 10, and that's the passage where um, he tells a rich young man to sell all his things, give the money to the poor, and then follow. Jesus says to follow me. The man refuses to do it goes away sad. And then Jesus drops this zinger on everyone listening. He says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Every single affluent American should hear that and be like, ugh. You know what I'm saying? Like we should all just be like, at least some level be like, huh. We should cast ourselves on the mercy of God. It should compel us. Like, if, if you can read Mark 10 and you can walk away and be like, yo, I'm good. Like, that's when I start to worry. But if you hear this stuff, if you read this stuff and you think, oh, God, show me where I don't do this. Show me where I'm holding on to things and I'm not letting go. Teach me how to be more generous. Teach me that, Lord, nothing can come before you. Show me the things in my life that I hold above you as an idol. If you, that little pinprick that you might feel, that's the Holy Spirit. Partner with that. Partner with that. Go where God is taking you. Ask what God might be doing in you. Let him continue to change the orientation of your heart and turn you towards him. The third analogy. Prayer is like bowling. I love bowling because it's an activity where you have professionals who have developed unbelievable skill, but it's also something I could go do with my five-year-old today and probably have a great time. A bunch of bored teenagers can decide on a Friday night to go bowling. And while they're eating mozzarella sticks and goofing around and throwing the ball backwards between their legs, like there's a guy in the next uh, lane bowling a 300. That's what prayer is like. There are people with all different experience, skill levels, but every one of those people can have a meaningful experience in prayer, whether you've never prayed before or you've spent a lifetime honing the craft. Everyone, prayer is for everybody. There are no prerequisites to prayer. Many people say, but I don't know what to say when I pray. And I say, well, just talk to God about what's heavy on your heart. But also, words aren't even a prerequisite to prayer. You can just sit there in your feelings with God. That's okay. Or you can use the scripture. Read a, pray a psalm every day. I promise you, at one point or another, you're going to be like, whoa, that's me today. 
Use the scriptures as your words. Prayers for everybody. Notice I didn't say that prayer is like golf. Look, golf's not for everybody. I love golf. <laughs> I love golf. But it requires a little something. Like, y'all aren't going to be like, oh, Mother's Day, babe, let's go golfing. Let's try that out today. You know, you're not going to do that today if you've never played. You, you got to on-ramp a little bit before you hit the course, you know? And look, people who have been playing golf their whole lives are still, they still hate it when they're doing it. Nobody's happy on a golf course. <laughs> prayer is not like golf. But anyone can pray. Anyone can experience God in prayer. In fact, Jesus even uses children as exemplary models for prayer. There's, there's some sort of like a purity and innocence, you know? Like if you have never prayed, if you don't know what you're doing, if you're like freaked out by it, like there's a sense in which that's kind of an advantage here. Like, use it. Everybody can pray. Prayer is for everyone. But make no mistake, we can also become more skillful. And hopefully where you're at today in your prayer life is not where you'll be in a year or in 10 years or in 50 years. It's an ascent towards God. And God wants to go on that journey with us throughout our lives. And so you can have a, a remarkable and a meaningful experience today in prayer. But that doesn't mean that it has to stop there. The final analogy is this. Prayer is like a bath. We said at the beginning of the sermon that prayer is the process of becoming immersed in God. And so let us think of prayer as bathing in God's love. God's love is the immovable truth that makes all prayer possible. Whether you feel it or not, whether you're feeling like it, whether you're into it, whether whatever, you know, the fact that God loves you means that you don't have to fear. That whatever you do or say in prayer, that whether you're feeling great that day or not, or you feel close to God or not, God's infinite love for you is the foundation upon you rest, and so you can know that your prayers are heard. In our pain and our suffering, we might be drawn to more flashy spiritual experiences and exciting forms of prayer. Clearly, I think that's good. I, when that happens, praise the Lord. But any approach to prayer that does not begin and end in the fact of God's love, if God's love is not the foundation for our approach, then we miss the point. After all, much of the self-inflicted pain that we endure stems from our failure to know God's love. The ways we don't forgive ourselves, the ways we remain in bitterness, our constant discontent in life, all these will come to an end when we realize that we are immersed in a never-ending infinite ocean of God's love. If every time that we come to prayer, we remember that God takes particular delight in you, that could open a world. And so my goal today is to help you want to pray because once we grow desperate for God, then we won't need a strategy anymore. When you're desperate for God, you don't need a strategy you might find yourself learning them over time, honing what it is that God's doing in you, but you'll find that it won't be absolutely necessary to get started. See, the end of prayer is selfless love, and this happens by soaking in God's love, and only then are we secure enough to love people more than we love ourselves.